Folks, covering Donald Trump can take a toll. We're talking about a man who has a scandal that should be presidency-ending on a near-daily basis. Just yesterday, it came out, he told senators to shut down the investigation into his campaign and Russia. Any other president, and that would be a major scandal, could lead to a resignation. But with this guy, we're lucky if it gets 10 minutes of airtime on CNN because there are 60 other outrages vying for your attention. I love doing this podcast, but y'all, I am tired. So I'm very sorry that I missed the last couple of weeks of episodes. And I want to thank everyone who reached out and asked what was going on. But... I have decided after this week's episode, I'm going to put the podcast on hiatus for a while. See, I had this plan. Hillary Clinton was going to win the presidency because, of course, Donald Trump didn't have a chance, obviously. And after she won, I was going to take a break from politics and social media for a while. I was going to write a novel because I'm a middle-aged white guy and that's what we do. But then Donald Trump won. He won. He actually won. I still (laughs) cannot believe he won. And I couldn't take a break. We are in a constant state of national emergency. And just like I'm sure you do, I felt the need to do something. And this podcast was that something, along with the constant attention to social media and writing occasionally about the administration. And I'm really proud of what I've done here, and I hope it's made a difference to you. But I need that break now, so I'm going to stop doing this every week. And I'm going to leave Twitter for a while, too. I'm going to go ahead and write that novel, which has nothing to do with politics. Of course, I'm not leaving politics completely. Uh, I still have a day job, and I'll be involved in the 2018 races through that. And I'm really proud of the voices I've been able to elevate on this podcast. People who are immigrants, uh, people who are transgender, experts on healthcare, national security, foreign policy, gun policy, a lot more. I hope their voices have been useful to you. And if and when I bring the podcast back, I'll probably focus more on elevating those voices. So for this final episode of 2017, rather than covering the week past or the weeks I've missed... I want to talk about the broad ways in which Donald Trump has been such a devastating president. Because the most important thing for us to remember is that his presidency is like nothing we have experienced in the history of this country. We have never had a president so malicious, so willfully ignorant, so dangerous for the future. I say it every week, and I hope you'll remember it when I'm gone. This is not normal. Hello, and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Burney. There was a major uproar this week over a New York Times profile of some random Nazi guy. And the two things that guy believed were, Hitler is pretty awesome, and I'm not racist. It's really interesting to me how even the most far-right white supremacists insist they aren't racist. The word itself has become so nuclear that even people you'd think would be proud to use it to describe themselves insist it doesn't apply to them. 
people are so defensive about the word that it has become almost meaningless, which is really good news for racist people. But it's important to recognize the word does have meaning, and it's not as simple as thinks people of different races are inferior. Racism is built into society at every level. It's often unconscious and always pernicious. And the bar to calling someone racist shouldn't be that they wear a sheet over their heads or have a swastika tattoo. It should mean their words and actions, more often than not, promote a system that treats people unequally. It should mean they are thoughtless about that systemic injustice and the concerns of victims of racism. It should mean they are quick to condemn and belittle people who fight for justice. And it should mean they say things like this. You're very, very special people. You were here long before any of us were here. Although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas. But you know what? I like you because you are special. I say all this because it's important to understand that our president is racist. This is not a controversial statement. It is a simple matter of fact. He was racist when he refused to rent apartments to black families in the 70s. He was racist when he took out ads in newspapers calling for the death penalty for the Central Park Five who were innocent. He was racist when he led the birther movement. He was racist when he launched his campaign by calling Mexicans rapists, when he called for a Muslim ban and a wall on our southern border. He was racist when he got into public fights with the Khan family and Judge Curiel, And he's a racist when he tries to tell NFL players they can't kneel to our national anthem. He's a racist when he paints immigrants as criminals and ramps up deportations. He's a racist when he says there are very fine people marching alongside neo-Nazis. We have had presidents in my lifetime who have had problems with race. And I'm not just talking about Republicans, but we have never had a president in the modern era as viciously and persistently racist as Donald Trump. He can't talk to World War II code talkers without making a Pocahontas joke about Elizabeth Warren. Who does that? Donald Trump is racist. He won the election by appealing to racism, and his presidency has been and will continue to be devastating to minorities. Worst of all, He's emboldened outspoken racists like that jackass in the New York Times article. They may still shy away from using the word racist to describe themselves, but they are no longer quiet about the things they believe. They brag about them in the New York Times. Why? Because they believe the President of the United States is one of them. And they aren't wrong. Donald Trump isn't just a racist. He's also a liar. He can't help himself. From the day of his inauguration, when he sent Sean Spicer out to brag about crowds that didn't exist, and virtually every day since, Trump has bent, massaged, twisted, or just contradicted the truth. He lies about stupid, easily disprovable things. He lies about himself and his accomplishments. He lies about why he does things. He lies about the things other people say to him. He cannot stop himself, and maybe worst of all, he believes the lies he tells. I think he might actually believe 3 to 5 million people voted illegally for Hillary Clinton, because he can't conceive that he lost the popular vote. 
I think he believes he's done more than any other president in the first 10 months, despite having zero actual accomplishments besides filling a stolen Supreme Court seat. Donald Trump has lived his entire life in a haze of self-deception, believing he's smart and accomplished and loved, when he was born rich and gotten by on being an asshole. You can get pretty far in this world on that. He's fundamentally incapable of telling the truth because he is incapable of facing the truth about himself. All presidents stretch the truth sometimes, but with Donald Trump, it's worse. Much worse. His self-deception is so deep that he promotes insane conspiracy theories. Not just Obama's birth certificate, or even every conspiracy ever suggested about Hillary Clinton. This week, he floated a conspiracy theory about Joe Scarborough murdering an aide who actually died of a heart condition. He does this all the time because any negative story about someone he doesn't like is automatically true in his mind. He is, honestly, an Alex Jones-level conspiracy nut. Remember when he insisted thousands of Muslims celebrated 9-11 on New Jersey rooftops? And no evidence could convince him otherwise. Now he's claiming that the grab him by the pussy access Hollywood tape, which he already apologized for, may be a fake. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's convinced himself that's the truth. Our president lies like he breathes. What does it mean to have a president whom we can't trust to tell the truth ever? How do we reckon with the enormity of that? How do we recover from it? There's a flip side to all that lying, and that's attacking the truth. Uh, this week, Trump doubled down on his attacks against CNN specifically. And look, I have my issues with CNN. Cable news is a cesspool. The argumentative panels are worse than useless. But most of the facts reported on CNN by news reporters are true. It's just the news. They're just reporting it. Same with MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS News, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. None of these are perfect, but they are fundamentally committed to the goal of uncovering the truth and reporting it honestly. President Trump would have you believe that all these organizations just make up stories, that they make up anonymous sources who don't exist, give them fake quotes, and knowingly print false stories to fit a political agenda. That is insane. But it works. Go on Twitter sometime and look at the responses to a CNN reporter's tweets, for example. People honestly believe everything they say is made up. They believe things are false because CNN says they're true. Same with all those other outlets. This is a key part of Donald Trump's strategy. The best way to get away with constant lying is to attack the truth-tellers. If CNN reports X and Donald Trump says not X, his supporters believe not X no matter what evidence you marshal in favor of X. That kind of willful ignorance is incredibly dangerous, and it is a powerful weapon in some dangerous, albeit tiny, hands. It's not just the media. It's judges who rule against him. It's scientists who work for the federal government who have been silenced. It's our intelligence agencies who he's attacked again and again. Anyone who tells the truth in a way that inconveniences the president is discredited and called a liar. Donald Trump's enemy isn't just the media and scientists and others, it's the truth itself. And that's why he'll do anything, anything, to muddy the waters. 
Speaking of muddy waters, didn't Trump promise to do something about draining the swamp? I've talked about this a lot in the last 45 weeks. He said he would go to Washington and put the people back in charge, that the forgotten man would no longer be forgotten. And America elected him, and he came to Washington and made it swampier than ever. He put his daughter and son-in-law in powerful White House jobs. He refused to give up his businesses or put them in a blind trust, meaning every decision he makes as president could affect his bottom line. He put his sons in charge of them and tried to sell the absurd lie that he never talks about business with them. He doubled the initiation fee on his gaudy club in Palm Beach and then used the presidency to advertise it, even letting members sit near sensitive foreign policy meetings and post about it on social media. He spends a huge amount of time at his resorts. After complaining for years about Obama playing golf, he plays far more often. Foreign dignitaries regularly hold events in his D.C. hotel, knowing that the money they spend there is going straight into the president's pockets. He's filled his administration with lobbyists who are now regulating the very industries they used to represent. He appointed a guy who runs a private weather data service to run the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. He appointed a former pharmaceutical executive to run Health and Human Services. He passed rules against lobbyists serving in his administration, then just issued waivers to all the lobbyists he appointed. And he is, despite his lies to the contrary, being investigated for potentially working with a foreign power to tip the presidential election in his favor. He says it's just a witch hunt. All you hear is the phony Democrat excuse for losing the election. Russia, Russia, Russia. But the evidence keeps piling up and piling up. There have been indictments. Michael Flynn might be making a deal with prosecutors. And we know senior campaign staff, including Trump's own son, met with people they believe were Russian officials with dirt on Hillary Clinton. This investigation is real, and it is likely to have very real consequences for this president and the people close to him. He's making money off the presidency. He's putting special interest lobbyists in charge of regulating themselves. He is involved in one of the most shocking scandals in American history. This is the definition of a corrupt president. Donald Trump isn't draining the swamp. He's redefining it. He is the swamp. One very suspicious factor in the Russia scandal is that Donald Trump has never criticized the autocratic, journalist-murdering, corrupt government of Vladimir Putin. Not a negative word. And this is not a man who shies away from criticizing allies. This week, he pushed these racist, anti-Muslim videos tweeted by a far-right British politician, and everyone in the UK went ballistic. Even Prime Minister Theresa May put out a statement condemning him. And he insulted her, the leader of our closest ally. He's insulted China, France, Qatar, Australia, leaders all over the world. But never Russia. Donald Trump doesn't understand foreign policy, and he doesn't care about it. And he's making the world more dangerous for Americans as a result. He and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson have gutted the State Department. We've lost an entire generation of experienced, senior, nonpartisan leadership. They've turned Foggy Bottom into an empty shell, meaning we simply cannot conduct basic diplomacy on the level we need to. 
He's about to fire Tillerson too, probably because Tillerson never denied calling him a moron. And all this comes at a time when we face enormous challenges. He's playing dangerous brinkmanship in North Korea. He's allowing Saudi Arabia to run roughshod in the Gulf. He's escalating tensions with Iran and threatening to pull out the deal that is keeping that country from gaining nuclear weapons. And he's playing footsie with Russia. He's not just unpredictable. He's unstable and ignorant and impulsive. Imagine four or even eight years of this man directing America's foreign policy and military. Is it remotely possible that we could avoid serious catastrophe in all that time? I honestly don't see how it's possible. Millions of lives are in this man's hands. Donald Trump, the man who used to fire Dennis Rodman and Gary Busey on TV. He's the president. How did we get here? I want to thank everyone who has listened to the podcast, and I really hope it has been valuable to you. But I want to say a special thank you to the people who supported my podcast on Patreon. It meant so much to me to know that people cared that much about what I was doing. I spoke to three of my top supporters, Kristen Delgado, James Fry, and Michael Ferguson, about what the last year of Trump has meant to them. And I'd like to share a few minutes of that conversation with you. Something happened today that was really remarkable. I'm referring, if you can't guess, to the tweets he retweeted earlier today. And these were tweets by this far-right racist British politician of these disgusting videos that claim to show uh, uh, violence uh, committed by Muslims. At least one of them definitely was not that. You know, it, it always amazes me that he can sort of reach these new nadirs of discussing this. And what I'm wondering for you is, what is the, the for you, kind of the worst moment of the past 10 months of his presidency? And I'd, I'd like to say that today was really shocking, but it wasn't, because I think the day that really hit home for me was when he very clearly did not come out in Charlottesville and state very clearly um, that, that this was unacceptable behavior by the right-wing extremists. And you know, I'm not trying to paint the entire right wing as extreme, but the reality is there's enough of them there that, you know, the, the right wing could stand up to within themselves, and they're just not doing it. And I think that made it absolutely crystal clear that this behavior wasn't going to change. So today I look at like, yep, more of the same. It should shock me, but it doesn't because that shock has already come. What about you, Kristen? Has his presidency affected you? in any particular way or affected people you love in any particular way? Are any of the policies having an impact on, on you or your family or friends? Yes, well, my husband, um, he came over here from Mexico. He was undocumented when he was a kid, and he ended up getting his citizenship through the, uh, the process they had a few decades ago. Since then, I guess the, the laws have changed. It was not easy to really... If you came here as an undocumented person to get your citizenship, so he has like two brothers and two sisters who never got their citizenship, so they have green cards, and they're scared. They live in Arizona um, just because they didn't get their paperwork taken care of when they could have, and now they feel like they've grown up here, but it's such a hostile environment. They don't know what could happen. I know they can't get deported because they have green cards, but because everything is just so negative and, I guess, xenophobic, that 
who knows what the law is going to say next. They may, I mean, who knows? That's the thing that's scary for, I guess, people who aren't citizens is they don't know how much worse it could get. Have you found yourself getting more involved in politics in Trump's election? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, this has been, it's it's wild, too, to hear part of what I like about what you talk about, Jesse, on the pod and and Kristen, what you were just saying about being kind of isolated and, and trying to figure out what's normal and what's not. And I'm out here in California where everybody's like, what the hell is going on all around the country? Right. So there's there's that part of, you know, feeling a little bit handicapped of living in a uh, kind of a liberal bastion and how much effect we can actually have on it. Because, I'm, yeah, I, do I call my senators almost every day? Yes. Do I know they're probably going to vote the way I'm asking? Yeah. But do I still make the calls? Sure. And um, and then I've joined and, and done a little DSA work and doing some, some canvassing on that. I think, you know, I'm, I definitely was a little bit more center left at the beginning of 2016 and the movement has been <laughs> further left as we've watched more and more people get maligned by this administration and what they're trying to accomplish, whatever that is, um, besides enriching themselves. So I think there, there's that part. I mean, I've done some marches. I've got two young kids and, and really staying on top of trying to make this a little bit of a better world. For them moving forward has been a, you know, the combination, I think, of all of the above has just been, it's been a lot. That's it for the last 45 weeks with this fucking jackass as our president. Folks, I don't know how we got here, but this is the real universe we actually live in. I'm taking a break, but I would still love to hear from you anytime. You can always reach me by email at thetrumpscorecard at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can listen to old episodes and check out all the links to all the stories in them on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. He is rude to women. He built them all. He did the Muslim ban. It's just really annoying to me, and I hate it, really. And for the Trump Scorecard, I'm signing off. The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back someday, and remember, this is not normal. Normal.